What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it. Open a CQ checking account and get $250 to spend freely. And that's not all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. Visit secumd.org today. Carve out sacred time with them where you will focus on just being present with them. And then, wait for it. Be present with them, (laughs) meaning turn off your phone, meaning put your phone in a different room, meaning turn off the television. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. Hello and welcome to this edition of MentorBox. I'm your host, Jonathan Kendall, and today we're going to continue from last week's lesson on focus. Focus, ironically, part two. Last week, I talked about the first two uses of focus. To start, and namely, that focus is the key ingredient of deliberate practice, the method through which all mastery is created. Remember? If not, go back and listen to the previous lesson. Though, as a refresher, Deliberate practice is a term coined by Anders Ericsson and made famous by Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour rule. Or more specifically, that if you want to become world-class at any skill, be it chess, violin, public speaking, basketball, or even, let's say, management or coding or machining, anything really, then you'll need to pick a specific goal in mind. As in, I'm going to become a master at accounting instead of coffee roasting, writing over barista art, etc., The specifics don't matter, but the underlying architecture does matter. Because once you pick which skill, which itself is a form of focus, then you must focus your attention on consciously getting better at that skill without distraction. That's the key here, without distraction for at least an hour every day, all the while pushing your comfort zone out past where you've ever been before. As an example, in Chief Business Officer of Google, Mo Gaudet's lesson in MentorBox, on his epic book, Solve for Happy, he mentioned how his late son used to play video games. Mo would play the game straight through, beginning to end as fast as possible. His son, on the other hand, would explore every inch of every unknown territory of the level. Son, why are you going over there? There's nothing over there, Mo would ask. Because, his son would reply, because in the unknown parts, that's where all the fun is. That's where you learn something new. And so it is true with all deliberate practice. You must focus your attention on one skill and then focus your attention while practicing that skill, while pushing your comfort zone, exploring new territory all the while, and then get feedback on your actions. Wash, rinse, repeat, and you're 10,000 hours away from being world-class. 
Hence the importance of focus. So that's lesson one, repeat it. As for the second, focus is also a time extender. Just the other day, I was talking with one of MentorBox's roundtable attendees. These are, by the way, some of our exclusive members who come into mastermind events in LA or San Francisco with Alex and our team. It's hands-on business consulting and help. And so before they arrive, I always have a conversation with the arriving members in order to get a feel for how we can specifically help preparing for their arrival. And you would not believe how many of our attendees, which by the way, just to be clear, are predominantly, because the filter is so obvious, some of our already most successful students, you would not believe how many of our attendees tell me that their biggest problem is that they don't have enough time in the day. That they already work 12 hours a day and hardly have any time for their friends and lovers. And yet, after deconstructing their days just a bit, after asking a few guided questions like, so, What's the biggest thing standing in your way between where you are and where you want to be? Or in a perfect world, what would you spend your time on if you could? Or if you were your own coach, what would you eliminate that you're currently doing that is a time waster? And on and on and on. And their answers are always hilariously obvious, even to them. Well, I'd stop watching stupid YouTube videos for an hour before bed. Well, I'd stop watching benign television. Well, I'd stop checking my phone while spending time with my family. I'd just be present. Well, they say I'd probably listen to the right audiobooks or MentorBox lessons on my way to work. Well, I'd watch courses on Facebook advertising. I'd finally make that website. I'd go to the gym during my lunch break. I'd buy a standing desk. I'd, I'd. See, the answers aren't usually that difficult to figure out. It's just that they're mentally difficult to execute, which that, my friends, is the magic sauce. When we say, I don't have time, what we really mean is I don't want to make time because there's something that I'm doing now that gives me a bunch of pleasure, and I don't really care about the thing in the future that would give me more pleasure. It's a compromise. It's a trade-off. Now above then. Which, if you do this over and over again, if you lose focus of what really matters in favor of expedient pleasure, then you're left with a life you're not as proud of and excuses like, I don't have time. So the antidote to that, which I explained, is to make a list of what's most important in your life and then relentlessly and ruthlessly optimize for those accomplishments. Is it your significant other? Then consciously make focus time for that relationship. Is it working on that side project? then do it for an hour a day without distraction. Is it reading? Listen to audiobooks during your commute. Is it working out? Stand instead of sit at work. Do 15 minutes of squats before you get in the shower. In short, you create more time by focusing your time on what matters. Okay, so that was a long review, but these are worth mentioning again. For more details, listen to the previous lessons. So for the next three uses of focus, here they are. Three, focus is an antidote to stress. And finally, when to, on purpose, lose focus in order to perform when the going gets tough, when the outcome really matters. Remember? If not, no worry. Let's begin. Focus is straight away a remedy for inappropriate stress. Because let's get serious, most stress is an overreaction. Now, I'm not going to say that it's easy because biologically we are hyper predisposed to paying attention to the negative. It's biologically, evolutionarily smart. It's a trick. Paying attention to the kind savanna or the calm water or the bright sun is, well, sort of useless. 
Now, though, on the other hand, noticing a lion lurking under the grass, incredibly valuable. Or what about our leader's off-putting glance? Are we going to be kicked out of the tribe? Banished to live on our own? Us against the deadly wilderness of nature? This is a death sentence, which is why we instinctually lean towards the negative, preparing for possible catastrophes around every bend, be they social, metaphysical, or physical. It's a survival mechanism. Though in our modern world, since we're only one in a billion moments or so ever actually in danger, our overreactive, hyper-negative amygdala literally creates, invents, and then manifests problems out of thin air. What did she mean by that? Oh, he probably hates me. Everyone thinks I'm stupid. No one likes what I created. I'm going to be fired. I'm going to fail. There's someone in the house, a monster under my bed. Except there's never any monster. Stress, just a gathering of overactive, bored neurons firing in your brain. So you may be asking, how does focus have anything to do with this? Well, let me tell you a little bit of a story. Depending upon when you're listening to this, my now fiance, soon-to-be wife, is a musician, and a successful one at that. Makes her own music from scratch, playing every instrument herself, singing a one-woman band of sorts. She's been signed to labels, she plays professionally, does well, right? Now, granted, she's always evolving, always composing new music, always exploring the outer limits of her abilities. And so, like any artist that's worth their weight in salt, also knows her limits. It's funny that when you're young and not altogether accomplished, you think you're the best. I myself thought the same when I was in my early 20s writing my masterpieces. <laughs> but this is only because youth breeds unwarranted hubris. You may be great, but compared to the masters, usually not so much. But anyways, what happens most often is that as you get better, you simultaneously realize and understand and accept your limitations. My fiance then is sometimes painfully aware of how she's not quite there yet. She'll finish a song and then listen to her idol's newest release, comparing herself to him or her, and immediately fall prey to the artist's comparison trap. I recommend to her, remember, envy is ignorance. And she nods and intellectually knows, too. She's heard that line before. And yet, no matter, that creeping self-doubt weasels its way into her psyche. You're not good enough. You'll never get to where you want to be. You're not cut out for this. You should just quit. No one likes you, etc. And that's tough because that comparison for a trained ear is real. Maybe you're not quite there yet. Maybe your boss is actually better. Maybe your coworker really does work harder. Maybe your work at present not up to even your own standards. And yes, maybe that date went horribly. But what can we do with such stress? Because we know it's useless. We know it's invented. What to do? The answer, predictably, is focus. Though more specifically, the answer is focusing your attention on the right metrics. I remind her of my favorite writer, well, one of them, David Foster Wallace. He was almost unanimously agreed upon to be one of the greatest writers of the 90s, penning such masterpieces as Infinite Jest and This Is Water. And yet, in the transcript of an interview he famously gave, printed as, although of course you end up becoming yourself, yes, I'm a nerd, he talks extensively about how while writing Infinite Jest, depending upon the day, 
depending upon the paragraph he had just written, he either thought he might be a genius or that he was the worst hack writer of all time, ever vacillating between self-love and self-hatred, the plight of the artist. Am I right? But not only artists. This, in fact, happens to all of us. And again, it's because we're focusing on the wrong metrics. Instead of trying to figure out whether or not we're good enough yet, we should focus on whether or not we're improving. Are we getting better? Are we focusing on what matters? Are we, yes, paying attention to the right metrics? Metrics like, did I spend time with those whom I love? Was I kind to others? Did I work hard? Was I patient with those less fortunate? Did I forgive myself when I failed? Did I deliberately practice? Did I push my boundaries? Did I treat my body well today? These types of metrics, these focal points, transcend all day-to-day fluctuations in social or physical whatever. They become then the answer to stress. Because instead of my fiance asking herself, am I good enough? which has, by the way, no good answer because the answer is always both yes and no simultaneously. Instead of asking that question, she asked this one. Am I getting better? Did I practice today? Because if you answer that question affirmatively every single day and focus on progress rather than results, you will guaranteed, seemingly by accident, fall into whatever you want to be. And along the way, because you're not focused on the noise of judgment, you'll be happier as well. Less stressed, calm, focused on, am I better today than I was yesterday? Yes? Then that's all that matters. Okay, next up. Focus as a spiritual practice. I won't get too far into this one because meditation has thousands of years of literature written on it already. There are apps and guides and books upon books upon lectures upon lectures. In MentorBox, we have some of the world's experts guiding you through their practices. It should be pretty obvious by now, successful people meditate, and they do so because not only is it a stress reducer, not only does it connect you to yourself, not only could it very well be the vessel we ride towards enlightenment, not only is it an antidote to the madness of modernity, but, and I think most importantly, it's the best way to practice focus. Because if you can close your eyes and shut off your brain, or at least attempt to, while focusing on your thoughts as clouds passing by your consciousness, well, then you damn well can put your head down and do some work for an hour. Can you not? It literally connects synapses and neurons in your brain like a muscle, enabling you to strengthen your ability to focus. A workout for your mind, if you will. But that's not exactly what I want to talk about today. What I mean by focus as a spiritual practice is not meditation, or at least not in the traditional sense. What I mean by focus here is being present, which, yes, goes back to what I spoke about earlier, that focus elongates time, that it allows you to do more with the same as everyone else. But even more specifically here, I mean focus in the presence of those who matter to you, your spouse, your children, your best friends, being present with other life. This alone will transform you. And the good news is that it's really easy. Here's how you do it. Pick out a few people in your life that you really want to evolve with, a couple chosen friends, your parents, your children, and do as I suggest earlier. Carve out sacred time with them where you will focus on just being present with them. And then, wait for it, be 
present with them, (laughs) meaning turn off your phone, meaning put your phone in a different room, meaning turn off the television, go on a walk together outside without even bringing your phone, meaning go out to dinner without your phone, meaning go to the park with your children without your phone. I mean, listen, I love my phone. It's the most powerful, magical, crazy tool that's ever existed in the history of mankind. It's made obsolete so many other humankind previously changing technologies. It's almost comical. So use your phone. It's an Archimedes lever which will help you move the world. But it's also a social crutch distraction which is probably rotting your relationships. And so, again, pick out your chosen mastermind, those whom you care to evolve with, and then consciously, on purpose, Spend quality time with them, without technology. Be present. Talk. Hold hands. Hug. Play analog games. Run. Hike. Marvel at the stars. Turn off the music and just be. If you do this every day, if you focus your attention on those whom you love, even just a little bit every day, if you focus on being human to human, it acts as a spiritual washing of love from which you will never recover, nor will you want to. Okay, cool? Cool. And now finally, when you should not focus. This one will be quick because it relies so heavily upon what we previously learned. Remember, remember what we said about focusing on getting better every day? focusing on deliberate practice, focusing on the right metrics, focusing on those who matter, focusing your time on what matters. Well, if you do this, if you do this every single day, you will find an exponential growth in your quote-unquote success, both financially and socially, both personally and professionally. But also, because you'll be higher, the stakes will get higher. It's a long way down from way up there. And so you'll naturally find yourself in big moments, objectively important events, days that know really the outcome here really matters, pivots, if you will. And in those moments, when you're through practicing and it's time to perform, this is where focus is your enemy. Now, I know what you're thinking. You may be thinking, well, shouldn't I be more focused when everything's on the line? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Have you ever heard in basketball of a player being on fire or an Olympian breaking their own record in the finals, the best they've ever done with the stakes the highest? A writer forgetting what they wrote. It's all the while being a masterpiece. This is called getting into a state of flow, a term coined by psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And to get into this state of peak performance, a state of flow, of being on fire, A performer must necessarily unfocus themselves and just let it ride. For a NASCAR driver, overthinking is literally death. For a dancer, worrying about making sure to point his or her toe on the second spin of the third section, not good. For your VC pitch, let your passion come out. You've already practiced. You've already done the hard work. In this case, being a robot, focusing too much on the detail here or there, will literally act counter to your end result. And so, focus when you're practicing. Focus your time on what matters. 
Focus on the metric of progress rather than result. Focus on who matters. Yes, all of that. But when the going gets tough, when it's all on the line, loosen up, stop thinking, and just let it flow. Cool? Cool. Thanks for listening. Until next time, cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.